church this morning, as you'll see, we're going to be starting something a little different. And this church is so beautifully decorated for this time of the year. And, and so December 1st, historically the church, if you watched my goofy little video on Facebook that took me longer than I'd like to uh, acknowledge to make. The church historically has celebrated this season of Advent. Okay, and, and for a lot of you, maybe you come from Baptist backgrounds, things like that. Add the seasonal, liturgical type things this isn't something that's brought up a lot. But historically, the church uh, has celebrated uh, certain seasons in the church calendar, and one of those seasons being the season of Advent. You know, and, and it's a very special time because what we're celebrating, obviously, is the coming of Jesus, right? This fulfillment of a promise uh, of a Messiah that had come into a land, into a people that desperately needed him. So the season of Advent lasts from December 1st to December 24th. And, and it's this time for us to kind of focus in on God's provision. God's provision. Okay, for us to focus in on God being a provider. You know, the season of Advent, we'll kind of talk about this. And, and, and uh, you know, Brother Garen kind of already mentioned it. The season of Advent is about anticipation. Because that's what they were doing, right? In the Old Testament, uh, in the beginning of the New Testament, they were anticipating something. Between the book of Malachi and the book of Matthew, there's 400 years of silence where they had no prophets, where they had, you know, the, you know, God was not speaking in a tangible way the same way he had been. And so for them, they were in desperate need of something. They, are, they were in need uh, of a voice from God, a, a work of God, only to, to see that he was preparing this whole time to provide for them in a mighty way in the book of Matthew and the, the Gospels that we, we see Jesus' birth and what he would begin to be for the church. And so the season of Advent is about that revelation, about that anticipation. But it's also about celebration, looking back to the promises of God, because you can only anticipate what's been told to you, right? And so we anticipate what we're celebrating, what, G, what God had said, what God had communicated to his people. And so we're going to start in this study over the next four weeks, as this just had been speaking to me in a moment and, and having conversations with different people and, and me and Garen kind of talking through kind of what that looks like, um, you know, this series, this idea of Advent for me personally and what I believe for us, how it can speak to us if we'll lean into it, is that God's intention in the season of Advent is to restore our wastelands. To restore our wastelands, to look into our lives and to see those dry, quiet, dreary places and to provide restoration in a way that only He can. Because that's what He did for the church. That's what He did for the people of God that were in desperate need. He provided Jesus. What the Bible tells us is the living water, right, that he was providing. And so, you know, th this series will be four weeks, and we'll see mostly examples from the Old Testament. Because remember, we can only celebrate, we can only anticipate if we're celebrating what he's told us. And so we're going to see promises of God and how God had laid some things out in, in, in his work amongst God's people. And how we can take encouragement from that to see how God wants to restore the wastelands, the dry lands, the desolate desert lands in our life. You know, and so first off, what is a wasteland? A wasteland is defined as this, an unused, barren, or uncultivated, overgrown area. You know, and just as I was reading that in my own life, I could begin to kind of see, you know, where are those wastelands in my life? Where are those unused, barren, uncultivated, or overgrown areas? You know, those areas that wastelands are either places who were something and then were neglected and became wastelands, or they were places that were never never utilized, never worked with, never grown. These places always have potential, 
especially if at one point they were something fully grown, but then they were neglected and they became something desolate. You know, I started to think about my boys' bedrooms. You know, uh, two of our boys share a room, and, and it does not take long for this place to become a wasteland. You know, uh, a few clothes, a few, a few things on the floor, uh, constantly tell them, hey, look, if you keep up with it, it won't get this bad. But then if, if you don't, if you let it go a couple days, it's going to look like the room threw up clothes and stuff everywhere, and it, you're never, it's going to seem overwhelming. Because then we ask them, hey, go ahead and clean up, and they're like, oh, my gosh. Like, it just seems overwhelming, like they'll never get it done. But then they always do, and I'm saying, look, it's not that bad. But if you keep up with it, if you attend to it, if you stay up with it. And so, you know, for us in our lives, we have to understand, it, you know, and when we talk about the wastelands of our lives, I know this is very, very metaphorical and very, uh, you know, that type of thing, but... To think, you know, is it my spiritual life, my relationship with the, God, with the Lord? Is that a wasteland? Has it been neglected? Has it been uncultivated? Has it been, uh, you know, left behind? You know, is it, is it my relationship? You know, is it, is it my witness as a Christian? You know, is it, is it being neglected? So why do we have wastelands? The main thing is it comes from neglect, sin, misuse, or maybe even just the circumstances around us that have developed wastelands within us or around us that we, we, we could have never have anticipated we'd be. You know, there may be situations going on in your life or that have gone on that you look at those things and you say, I, I have no clue how we got here, but I'm here now and I feel like I am just in a dry moment. I'm in a dry season that I'm missing something and I don't know why or how we got here. So listen, we could be in wastelands or have wastelands in our life that aren't even necessarily intentional or even something that we've done. Maybe it's something that God's bringing us through. And we'll see that as we kind of move through. But the thing that we have to understand is that the Christian life is basically lived by looking back with confidence in the work of Christ for us in Advent and looking forward in hope. Because of the past, we can look forward in hope. You know, and that's what David says in Psalm 46, that God is my refuge and he's my strength. But not only is he my refuge and my strength, but he's my present help. And so when we're looking at the wastelands in our lives, when we're looking at those dry spaces, the places of need that we have, whether it's in our personal life, our relationship, or the spaces around us, you know, we, we can seek God for present refreshment. We can seek God for present restoration. We can seek God for present gifts giving in our life. And I'm not talking about prosperity. I'm talking about provision. Because they lived in an anticipation of a coming Messiah. Church, we live in an anticipation of daily provision and a future resurrection. There's so much that we can celebrate and that we can be, be motivated by, mostly by understanding God's intentions of restoration for his people. And we see that in the book of Isaiah even specifically where he would prophesy some things. Isaiah 7.14, we see this prophecy, prophecy of, of Emmanuel, of God with us. He said, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son and his name shall be Emmanuel. God with us. We sang about that this morning. Then he also prophesies about the, Messiah, about the Holy Spirit. He says in Isaiah 44, 3, he says, For I pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry land, and I will pour my spirit upon your offspring, my blessings on your descendants. He's talking about us. He's talking about the Holy Spirit that he has given us. He was talking about in the verse before about Jesus, whom he has given us. So there is a lot that we can celebrate, and there's a lot that we can look forward to, but church, but 
as the church, there's a lot that we can rest in now. There's a lot that we can ask for God from now, this living water that he is pouring into our lives, that as we see these dry and desolate lands in our own life, that we can ask him, God, refresh me. God, renew me. God, restore my spirit. And then Isaiah 43, 19, this is kind of the, the over, overarching uh, verse of this series. 43, 19, he says, Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers and the desert. Church, the beautiful thing about our God is he is leaning into our wastelands with the intentions on restoration, refreshing, and renewal. So I ask you this morning, as we get, begin to move into how, how we see this layout, that you would, you would ask God, God, show me where my wastelands are. God, show me where the dry spaces are. Be honest with yourself. Where are those dry spaces? Is, it my, is my relationship with God dry this morning? Is my relationship with my spouse dry this morning? Is my Christian witness, as far as my active uh, lifestyle in front of others, is it dry this morning? Is it a wasteland? And then we'll begin to see how this lays out. And so I want to ask you to turn to 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18 in the Old Testament as we see how God wants to show us this morning how we begin to seek restoration in our wastelands. How we begin to seek restoration in our wastelands. So just to give you a little context, I could go on and on and on about context this morning with these verses, but I want us to understand the main people, person that we're going to see this morning is the prophet Elijah. Elijah was a massive presence in the Old Testament. He did some amazing things. He would, have been, he would uh, be one of the few people in the Bible who had not experienced death, who God would actually take up in a cloud of fire just because God was like, that's my dude and he's doing some work and so I'm going to take him with me and he's going to leave some work for the next guy, Elisha. But we just see a massive uh, just working of God through the person of, of Elijah. And and. and you know, in this time, there's wicked, wicked kings, one right after another, that have led the children of Israel into some wicked, wicked things. And specifically here, Elijah is actually on the run from a wicked king's wife. You ever heard Jezebel? You know, uh, it's not only something a name that you call uh, someone who is acting uh, kind of sketchy or, or acting a fool. Uh, but this is the name of, of the king Ahab's wife. And she was an evil, evil lady. And, and so he's actually at times running from her because the land is just so wicked. But even in all that wickedness, God is still using this prophet in a mighty way. And what we'll see from this text is that we will see how God uses this to show us how we seek refreshing in our Wastelands, how we seek restoration in our wastelands. And I want you to read with me first in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 41 and 42. And then we'll continue on from there. For the first thing that I want us to see this morning is that restoring our wastelands begins with confident prayer. Restoring our wastelands begins with confident prayer. In verse 41, we see this. And he says, And Elijah said to Ahab, who is the king, he said, Go up and eat and drink, for there is a sound of rushing rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel, and he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face down between his knees. So the thing that we have to understand about this context is up to this point, there has been three and a half years of drought. There has been three and a half years of drought, no rain at all. 
And so we know that because there's no rain, that means there's no, uh, there's no provision for livestock. That means there's no uh, vegetation. That means there's no produce. So this is a very difficult time in, 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 the, in this place of, uh, of the people of God. And so what we see here is we see Elijah and he says, he says to Ahab, he says, go up and eat and drink for there is a sound of a rushing rain. So three and a half years with no rain. And Elijah, in this moment, he tells Ahab, he says, I hear the rain coming. Now, I don't believe that this is so much a physical, like that he's actually hearing. But this is more of a sense, a spiritual uh, uh, kind of context in which he's connected to God in a way where he knows. He knows that there is restoration coming to our land. That I hear it. I hear God is about to do something. God is working towards us to do something. We actually see this, we'll talk about this in a few weeks in the book of James, where James actually talks about this. James chapter 5, verse 17 through 18 says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, a sinful nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. So three and a half years since God said, he told Elijah through Elijah's prayer that there would be no rain. And so maybe we ask ourselves, well, why in the world would Elijah pray for no rain? Well, the thing we have to understand, why, why, why would he ask for that? Why would he ask for the, the land to become desolate? Why would he ask for their land to become a wasteland where there would be no vegetation, where livestock would begin to die because there's not produce and things to provide for them? In this land, one of the biggest problems was idol worship. And the idol that they worshipped was the idol of Baal. Baal was thought to be, they believed Baal to be the god of the sky or the god of the weather. And so in Elijah's prayer, he asked God to withhold rain. Because what would that do? That would show that the god of Israel was stronger than any idol that they would ever worship, right? But, but get this, is that he not only asked for prayer to show that God was greater, but in this prayer, what was it doing? It was withholding something, right? It was keeping something from them. It was keeping something from what they would be provided for. You know, why would he pray for no rain? Church, sometimes our prayer has to be to withhold, to remind me that he is holding me. Church, sometimes there are prayers within our life in our confident prayer that we ask God to take away from us so that we can show, so he can show us that he is giving to us, that he is providing, that he is all I need, that he is bigger and better and greater and grander than anything the world system or the world could offer me, that the world gives me any satisfaction that they can give me. And so sometimes God withholding from us is to bring us closer to him and to prove that the lack of the provision promised by the gods or the idols of the world systems are not enough. So Elijah's prayer in the beginning was a prayer of withhold from me. God, keep from me. But Elijah doesn't have uh, this, this desire to die. He doesn't have this desire to, be, uh, to just shrivel up and to be, just to be, die of hunger and starvation and thirst. No, Elijah could only pray this prayer because he had confidence that in the withholding, God would provide. Because back in, Eli in 1 Kings chapter 17, when God prophesied this to Elijah per his prayer, 
He told Elijah in verse 17, he says that you will go down by a brook and you will drink from there. And while you're there, a raven will bring you food to eat. And so God says that even in the withholding, I'm going to provide for you. Right after that, God leads him to the house of a widow who provides for him food and drink that she has. And then not only through that, that, that after that, God continues to provide for him. Church, the thing is, when the circumstances around us seem dry and weary and desolate, God still intends on providing for his people. God still intends on providing for his people when we see that playing out here. Because Elijah was in step with God's will. He knew he could pray for this withholding to disprove the fact that I don't need the idols of the world, the idols that the people are resting in, this idol of Baal. He says, I don't need that because I have a God that provides for me. I have a God that satisfies me. I have a God that gives me what I need. And then the, the, the thing about it here is that not only, not just because for us, just because we're in a dry season of life does not mean that God still can't use us. Because in all this, in all this dry wasteland season through, through Elijah's confident prayer to God, not only does he lead him to provision, but he leads him to opportunity also. Remember I said that he led him to a widow's house? And not only did she provide for him, but he was able to provide for her because she was afraid if she gave to Elijah, she wouldn't have enough for herself and her, for her family and that they would surely die. So Elijah provided. Well, then right after that, this widow's son gets very sick and that he is dying. What does Elijah do while he's there? Elijah heals him through the power of God. In this dry, desolate, desolate wasteland of a time, God still uses Elijah. Right after this, Elijah stands up to Ahab, the king of Israel, and he tells him, he says, you're a wicked king and the things you're doing are wrong. So in this time, God still uses him to rebuke the wrong, to, to push back against evil, to push back against what the enemy's trying to do. And then not only that, but God uses Elijah in one of the coolest moments that I wish I could have seen in the Bible, where he stands up against the priests of, of, of Baal, stands up against hundreds and hundreds of priests of Baal for God to show that his God was the true God, to show the power of God is evident through his confidence in who God was. And what does God do? God disproves all of them. God overcomes uh, the prophets of Baal and he stands up against them. A great story in, in, in 1 Kings chapter 18. I pray that you'll go back and read it. But just a massive moment where God just proves himself through Elijah's confidence where Elijah is standing on his own against hundreds of idol worshipers. And this is all through a drought. Three and a half years. This is all through a drought where, where Elijah is, is in need, where Elijah doesn't have, where the people are struggling, and where God seems to have removed his hand of provision. God is leaning in and providing provision. When by all other accounts, it would be God has forgotten about us. And through Elijah's confidence, he knows, man, God's promises are yes and amen. He said he's not going to leave me. He's going to provide for me, and he has. You know, because God had constantly provided, even if it looked different from time to time, Elijah was confident. Elijah was confident. Listen, there are times in our life when we have wastelands that feel dry and desolate. And our confident prayer should be, God, I know you can provide. And even if I feel like I'm in need, God, continue to lead me to where you'd like me to be. 
God, continue to lead me to the spaces and the places where I can still do the work that you need. A lot of times we feel like when we're dry, when we're, when we're, we're in wasteland situations where we feel like we're in desperate need, maybe spiritually specifically. I've experienced a lot in church whenever people feel like they're, they're in need spiritually, they feel like they need to remove themselves. Well, I, I, just, I just need to sit back. I need to remove myself from this ministry. I need to not do this. or I just can't go to church for a little while. I just need to stay home and just reflect and just get close to the Lord or just kind of step away from what God's doing for me. But the thing that we see from here is that God does not, in our dry times, in our weary times, God does not say, don't remove yourself. Lean more into my work. And what Elijah does here, God uses Elijah in these huge moments, even when maybe he was thirsty, even when he was hungry, even when he felt like he was in need. Church, don't think that the solution to our wastelands is to remove ourselves, to step back and isolate ourselves. To try to think that we're not, I, I, don't have, I don't have the energy to do the work that God has for me because I'm, I'm just beat down. Because I'm just kind of disappointed. I'm just kind of struggling. Man, God says, lean in harder. Because it's through the work that we do that God reveals his provision to us. It's through the work that we do as Christians that God shows us that he's not forgotten about us and he's providing for us. And that he even in the midst of all that, he has a place for us to stand on. I love this in verse 42. Continuing on, he said, so Ahab went up and ate and drank. So the king, he went up and did his thing. He wasn't even thinking about it. And Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel and he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face down to his knees. Now, this is significant because right before this in chapter in chapter 18, when Elijah stood and defeated the prophets of Baal, where was he at? It says that he was on top of Mount Carmel. And that while he was on Mount Carmel, that's where he experienced a victory of God against the prophets of Baal. And so in this moment, when Elijah is still in need, when he's saying, I hear the sound of rain coming, I, I hear the promises of God becoming uh, to be real, that are coming to be fulfilled, where does it say that he goes? He positions himself, not only in a posture of prayer, it tells us, where his head is between his knees and he's down on the earth, but it says he's on top of Mount Carmel. Church, what better place to stand and wait for God's promises and fulfillments than on the battlegrounds of God's previous victories? Church, there are victories that God has had in our lives that sometimes we forget. And so when we feel like we're in these times of need, when we're, we're in these places of dry, kind of wasteland moments in our life, we forget about those victories and we move away from those things. But what God shows us, even through here, through Elijah, he tells us what better place to be reminded of God's provision than standing on the victories that he's had before. That Elijah is standing on Mount Carmel and then any moment that he could ever get discouraged about what God is trying to do or trying to use him for, he could just remember, you know what, this very ground I'm standing on, God had a victory for me, a massive victory before so if he's at a victory, then he's not going to forget about me moving forward. He's not going to deprive me of another victory. Church, the greatest place for us to stand and wait for God's promises and provision is, on this, is standing on his, his previous victories. Listen, and God has had victories in your life. You may not be giving him credit for those victories right now, but I promise you, if you would stop and take a moment and look back, you would see God's goodness in certain situations in your life. When you think back and you think, there's no way I should have ever made it out of that okay. 
You know, I think back to me and my wife's uh, the early days of our marriage and just how little we lived on and, and how much we, we lacked and just how crazy and just busy and just overwhelming life seemed with school and kids and this and that and all these things going on in life in a very immature, vulnerable time in our life. And I can look back and think, man, it's only by the grace of God that we ever made it. It's only by the grace of God that we ever made it. But, you know, there's a lot of it that in a way, in a way, we could stand on those places of victory. And I could, I could easily say, well, we made it because I did what I was supposed to do, right? I, I mean, I worked. I went to school. I busted my tail. I did what I needed to do. She did her thing. She went to school. She worked. She raised our kids. Like, I mean, we did it. Like, we held it all together. And then... We could be, instead of standing on Mount Carmel, we could be, uh, we, instead of postured in prayer and submission on Mount Carmel, we could be standing on Mount Carmel. Elijah could easily be standing on Mount Carmel and say, we won this victory against the prophets of Baal because of me, because of my confidence. But Elijah recognizes that's not the case. He recognizes that the victory is the Lord's, that any victory in my life is because the Lord has provided that victory and not because of my strength, that the strength that I stand in is because of the strength he's provided. The confidence that Elijah had to stand against the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel was not confidence in his own self. It was confidence in the work of God because God had already provided, because God had already done for him. Church, for us, if we want to stand in victories in our life, we have to stand on the victories from the past. We have to understand and give credit to God for bringing us through seasons that we should have never made it out of. That we should, we have to give credit to God where there were seasons where I was so sinful and just so rotten that he could have easily left me behind. But I can count it a victory because of where I stand today. Because he looked at us and he said, you know what, I'm not going to leave you behind. He could have easily, you know, dealt with other things besides Elijah. But he looked on Elijah's life and he said, Elijah, I'm going to put you by a brook and I'm going to have a raven bring food to you. I'm going to lead you to a widow's house. Well, not only will she provide for you, but then you'll provide for her by providing her food and then offering her healing to her son. Elijah, I'm going to put you in a place where you're going to be tested, but I'm going to provide the power that will prove them wrong. I will provide the power that will give you victory. And then in this situation here in 1 Kings Elijah can stand and he can say, I can hear the sound of a rushing rain. And then he can bow himself on this place of victory in confidence that God is going to provide. Church, don't forget what God has done. Don't forget what God has done in your life. There are good things in your life right now that are God's victories, not ours. And that's a good thing. Because if it was my victory, it could be taken from me. But if it's God's victory, it stands forever. So not only did Elijah have confident prayer, but then this last thing, church, and then we'll be done, is that we see a prize for persistence. We see a prize of persistence. Picking up in verse 43, we'll read down to verse 46. And he said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea, looking for rain. And when he went up and he looked, he said, there's nothing. And he said again, go seven times. And the seventh time he said, Behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, Go up and say to Ahab, Prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. And a little while the heavens grew black and the clouds in the wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. And he gathered up his garment and he ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. So it says that he went up and he looked and there was nothing. That there was nothing. 
Elijah's praying confidently to God and he tells his servant, go and look because I hear the sound of rain coming. God's promises are about to be fulfilled. Go up on top of the mountain and look towards the sea and see if the rain is coming. So when he goes, he says, I see nothing. I see nothing. Church, how often in our prayer, maybe you have been praying, God, restore these things in my life. Fill these dry spaces. God, restore, refresh me, renew me. God, I need something new. I'm just feeling down. I'm just feeling out. I'm missing something. I'm disappointed in life. I'm disappointed in myself. I'm disappointed in someone else. God, show me something. And then you go and you look or you're, you're just seeking out and you find nothing. You come back with nothing. How often have we come back with nothing in our life through our prayer? It happens. It happens. It's not wrong to say that there have been times that maybe you've prayed for something and that thing come back empty. You know, more often than not, there may be times where we're praying and we're looking for answers only to come back empty. You know, and it may not always be for selfish things. It may be for good things in our lives, maybe family problems, spiritual needs, stability, emotional or physical problems. There may be times, and maybe even right now, there are times that you're praying for something specifically and you keep looking for it and you're seeing nothing. So how do we keep the faith and stay confident in our walk if we are disappointed by our circumstances? And I think it's, it, we, can, it, we can be reminded of it by remembering God's intentions for his people. Psalm 23, one of my favorite chapters in the book of Psalms, Psalm 23.3, he says, He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Church, the thing that we have to understand about God is God is for God. God is about his namesake. God is about his glory. God is about revealing his power to his people to provide for them. So because we can know that God is for God and that God is for his namesake, that we can be confident as his people that he will lead us in paths of righteousness, that he will provide for us for his namesake. When we know and we live our life knowing that, that God is for God, it gives a lot of confidence to me. Because I'm faulty, but God isn't. When God is for God, I can rest on that promise. I can rest on his work. You know, where, and what we can understand is whenever we're in these places, we're in these wasteland moments in our life, that if I can know God's intentions, that his intentions are to restore my soul, that his intentions are to lead me in paths of righteousness, that I can know that where the Lord leads me is where he needs me in this moment. That where God has led me is where he wants me to be. You know, and right now, Elijah is praying for rain, and they look for rain, and rain is not there. And so there are moments in your life as you're praying and you're seeking God for something, and that that something has not been provided, I can give you this confidence to know that where God has led you is where he needs you right now. Whatever that reason is, and we could spend all day trying to figure out why would he allow me to go through this, have this need to experience this life, to have this struggle, to have this issue. Why would he allow me to do that? I don't know. But what I do know and what I'm confident of is when you're following him, when you're a child of his, that the place he has for you is where he wants you to be. And to know that he still intends on restoring that wherever you are, we can always know that there is no place he has allowed us to be. That is, he is not setting us, setting us up for a refreshing, that he is not setting us up for restoration. Proverbs 3, 6, he says, in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Listen, there is no crooked path that we've taken or that life has taken us that is too far that he can't straighten. 
There is no crooked path that life has taken us or that we've chosen that is too far that God can't straighten for us, church. And so we have this confidence to know his intentions, but also this, that we be persistent. That there is a prize for persistence. And I love how Elijah says this to his servant. He says, go again. Go look again. He says, don't be discouraged or disappointed because you didn't see what God was doing or what God is is providing because I know it's coming. I know it's coming, but go again. And not only go once, but go twice. Go three times, go four times, go five times, go six times, go seven times. Keep going. Listen, church, we live in the Amazon Prime waiter call ahead kind of world. We expect what we want, when we want it, and how we want it right now. And our prayers reflect the same things usually. God, this is what I want because this would make me more comfortable. This would make me more happy. This would make me more successful. This would give me more direction. This would do this for me. This would do that. God, I want it. I can't wait for it. And I don't want to work for it. This is what I want. I'm so thankful that God doesn't work like that. I'm so thankful that God is is more sovereign than my Amazon Prime. That maybe sometimes I don't need what he has for me next day. Maybe sometimes God is using the waiting to grow me in a way that I could have never have done if he'd have provided what I was asking for. We want results on our terms and on our time. But the beautiful thing about resting in a sovereign God is that on his terms and on his times, we can still expect restoration. We can still expect refreshing. He was three days after the death of his friend Lazarus, Jesus was, and he still provided healing and resurrection for him. He said, there is no time that's too late. My time is the perfect time. And it's only our God that could be in a tomb for three days and be resurrected after that. Amen? That it is only our God that no time is the wrong time, that every time that is his time is the right time. And that we can have that confidence. We can walk in that confidence. And he calls us. He called his servant. He says, to not miss the payoff to not miss the payoff, but be patient and persistent in our prayers and our seeking God. If you're in need of something this morning, be persistently seeking him. Just pursue him. Church, because the thing is that something actually happens while nothing is happening. God is using the waiting to change us. Because what it does is it brings us to a reliance on him. God, I I know only you can provide in this way that I desperately need. And I'm going to keep seeking you for it because I know that you're going to provide it. I know you're going to provide it. It's going to be on your time. There may have been times in this three and a half years where Elijah was like, God, is it today? It's, It's been six months. God, is it today? God, it's been a year. The livestock are dying off. The produce is fading away. God, is it today? God, it's been two years. God, that's a long time. I mean, we get frustrated waiting 30 minutes for our McDonald's, right? Can you imagine? Can you imagine three and a half years waiting for something that you knew that God was going to provide? God, how long? God, it's been three years. God, it's been three years in one month. You know, then every month after that just seems longer. Every moment seems longer and longer and longer. But Elijah stood on the confidence of a providing God 
that had not forgotten about him, that had promises of fulfillment, restoration, and provision that only he could provide. And he would push back against the idols. I don't need your idols. I don't need your, your, the evil work that the world offers. And so Elijah tells him, he says, I know it wasn't there the first time, but keep going back because it's going to be there. And I love how he says this. You know, go back seven times. Church, how monotonous could that have seemed like? How old could that have gotten? After the second or third time, I'd have been like, bro, it's not coming. But we have to understand that even in the monotony, God is working out something miraculous in our lives. Church, coming here week after week can seem monotonous. You know, singing the same songs can seem monotonous. Doing the same job, doing the same task can seem monotonous. But when those things are focused on the work of the Lord, God is using that monotony leading us to something. Because in that, He's working. You know, when the children of Israel marched around the, uh, the, the, the Jericho, the walls of Jericho, He said, seven people with seven trumpets marching around for seven days. You know, I said, I mean, at some point they had to be like, when is this going to end? When is this change? When is God going to do what he said he's going to do? But then on that seventh day, and those seven trumpets and those seven people, when the prophet, uh, when Elijah, his servant, at the seventh time, what did he see? He saw what the number seven is significant for in the Bible. The number seven is significant because of this. It means completion. It means fulfillment. It means perfection. In Genesis 2-2, God rested on the seventh day because his work was done. In Joshua 6, after the, same, the seventh day, the walls fell. It communicates that a work has been accomplished. It communicates that God is faithful. And that even in day one, two, three, Three, even a moment. One, two, three, four, five, six. That because day seven's coming, before moment seven's coming, it makes days one through six worth it. Because I understand that God was faithful even in that time because he knew what he was doing. He knew what he was providing. He knew what he was giving me. Seven is a number of completion, of perfection, of fulfillment. In verse 44 it says, that behold, when he finally saw it, a little cloud like a man's hand. Church, sometimes great blessings usually rise up out of small beginnings. There are small things that God does in our life that are leading to great blessings. And that the evidence is small, but then it comes on slowly. But church, we can't despise the small blessings and the small opportunities and the small moments that God has provided in our life, that God has put in our lives. And I love that he says it's, it's as a man's hand. Because not only would it signify but would also fulfill because later on we see in verse 46 that the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. That this hand rising up, this small hand in the distance reminded Elijah that the hand of the Lord is on me. These small blessings, these small revelations of God's goodness reminded Elijah that the hand of God is on me and that when God's hand is on me, there is nothing that can take me from it. Right? God's word has told us that there is nothing that can remove us from the love of God. There is nothing that can remove us from our hand. There are some denominations of Christianity that tell you the only thing that can remove you from God's hand is your own, your own work. That you can remove yourself from God's hand. That's foolish. You don't have the strength to remove yourself from the power of God's hand. 
When you have put yourself in God's hand, God has you. And he will hold you. And he will provide for you. He will restore for you. He will, he will give to you in a way that we never could on our own. And that like 1 Peter 5.10 tells us, after we have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself, the God of glory, through grace, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. What greater need could we have than that? And so what do we need to remember this morning as we wrap up, church? That restoring the dry, neglected spaces of our life begin with two things this morning. And this, I hope, will carry us through the rest of the three weeks we have ahead of us. That restoring the dry, neglected spaces of our life, whether that's our spiritual life, our relationships, that they begin with confident prayer and persistent patience. That restoring our wastelands begins with confident prayer and persistent patience. That these two things, they lead us and reveal to us not only the story of his work and the battlegrounds of victory we've walked, but that the promise of hope he has and lays before us is still to be obtained in our lives. There is present hope. There is present blessings that we rest in because we're a child of God if you've put your faith in Jesus this morning. And it doesn't matter the wasteland that you may find yourself in or that you may be experiencing. He says, pray confidently, walk confidently, and seek Him persistently with patience. Because He's going to bring refreshing. He's going to bring restoration. He's going to bring that renewal that we desperately need. Church, let's pray together this morning. Father God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for your goodness. God, I thank you that in more ways than we'll ever understand, God, you're providing refreshing and renewal and restoration in our lives. God, I just want to thank you for these people. God, I want to ask you that we would be honest and open with ourselves. God, that first off, have we, have we drawn from the, the well that won't run dry? God, are, are we drawing from your goodness? God, I pray that if there's anyone here that's not drawing from your goodness and your grace, God, I pray that they would begin that this morning. Resting in you and what you give and what you do. God, and then also, God, I just want to pray if, for believers here this morning that maybe feel like they're walking in dry and desolate lands. Maybe in, in, their, God, in, in their situations, in their circumstances, in their relationships, in their relationship to you, in their relationship to their spouse. God, in their, God, in their emotions. God, in, the, in their, uh, some type of physical way and some kind of physical needs, God. Lord, we all have dry spaces in our life. God, I pray that we would understand confident prayer and persistent patience will lead us to restoration. God, help us to be patient when we don't see the rains coming the first time. God, allow us to keep going back, to keep going back to you, to keep seeking you in all the ways that you provide. Father, I thank you again for your goodness, and I thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy on us. Father, we love you. Lord, we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' holy name, amen.